Hi, and welcome to this audio edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. On this program, we discuss polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism from a biblical Christian perspective. We talk about the history of polygamy, its modern-day fruit, share stories from people who have escaped polygamy, and talk about current events relating to polygamy. You can learn more about the video edition of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. And now, here's Doris. Welcome to Polygamy, What Love Is This? And I'm your host, Doris Hansen. We talk about polygamy here, early Mormon polygamy and Joseph Smith's polygamy and present-day polygamy. <laughs> it's unbiblical basis and many of the abuses that take place in polygamy. Tonight, we're going to be talking about Joseph Smith. Uh, and some of the things that he did. But first, if they, you or anyone that you know is in a polygamy group and would like to escape, would like to get out, we can help you. A Children Refuge Ministry is there to help you. You can go to the website uh, on this, the uh, website address is on the screen. It's www.shieldandrefuge.org. And, um, or you can give us a call, a toll-free number, 877-425-9993 uh, for more information about us and how to uh, contact us uh, by email or by telephone. And, of course, everything that we talk about, um, your situation is completely confidential. And if you want to make any comments or suggestions about our show, about our program, you're certainly welcome to do so. You can email us at email whatloveisthis.tv, email at whatloveisthis.tv, or call us 385-240-2888. And now I would like to introduce and welcome once again our very special co-host. Very special co-host. <laughs> our guest calls, Earl Erskine. Thanks, Doris. Appreciate, appreciate being here. <laughs> and, and it's always great to be here and share this time together. Yeah, this is a, this is a, a really good one, Well. Teach a lot of people a lot of stuff here. Dig, dig out a little bit about the founder of Mormon polygamy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, on May 26th of 1844, <clears throat> just barely one month before Joseph Smith destroyed the Nauvoo Expositor and the printing press, he and ended up in jail and then murdered, Joseph Smith made the following speech. And Earl's going to quote part of a speech. Yes. <clears throat> In all these affidavits, indictments, it is all of the devil, all corruption. Come on, ye prosecutors, ye false swearers, all hell boil over, ye burning mountains, roll down your lava, for I will come out on top at last. I have more to boast of than ever any man had. I'm the only man that has ever been able to keep a whole church together since the days of Adam. A large majority of the whole have stood by me. Neither Paul, John, Peter, nor Jesus ever did it. I boast that no man ever did such a work as I. The followers of Jesus ran away from him, but the Latter-day Saints never ran away from me yet. For the last three years I have, a I have a record of all my acts and proceedings, for I have kept several good, faithful, and efficient clerks in constant employ. They have accompanied me everywhere and carefully kept my history, and they have written down what I have done, where I have been, and what I have said. Therefore my enemies cannot charge me with any day, time, or place but what, have, but what I have written, testimony to prove my actions, and my enemies cannot prove anything against me from the history of the church. It's there. They can check it out if yes, they don't they believe what we're saying. So Joseph Smith claimed 
<clears throat> that he had more to boast of than anyone else ever had. He said that efficient and faithful clerks had kept carefully written records of all that he said and did so that no one could charge him with any wrongdoings. And he boasted that he had did even better than Jesus in keeping a church together. We want to bring, we could bring out probably 500 points in yes. this talk, but we're going to talk about three specific points tonight um, or today. So let's get started on point number one that we want to discuss from this speech. Yeah, the first one is Joseph claimed that he had more to boast of than anyone ever had. Okay, well, first of all, <laughs> the Bible explains that boasting about our works doesn't impress God. We want to quote from Ephesians chapter, chapter 2. Yeah, verses 8 and 9. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So obviously no one should be going around boasting about their accomplishments, uh, especially that they're better than God's, especially <laughs> yes. they're better than Jesus, like Jesus, that Joseph Smith did. We want to look at some of the things that Joseph Smith did do, and rather than boast about them, he should actually have been indicted, for at least for some of them. <laughs> I came across an internet site written by a former steadfast and faithful Mormon woman who had made excuses for Joseph Smith and his behavior for a very long time and finally in good conscience she could no longer do that and so we want to quote a few of her remarks about this uh, which are totally relevant to our topic so we're going to start with some of her questions it gets hard to deny time after time oh it does and here's her quote if if it was okay for joseph smith to lie cheat and manipulate his way into the beds of dozens of women who had everything to lose from these sorts of relationships then what does that mean when he is called a role model for all Mormons or Jesus Christ's right-hand man in the plan of salvation? That's a good question. <laughs> and, you know, yes. we could spend the whole show just answering that question. Also, she made uh, two more questions. If polygamy was never supposed to be part of the Mormon faith system, why hasn't the LDS Church ever just come out and said that? Yeah. And next, she said, if he could lie about all of that, how can I believe anything he said about the Book of Mormon or the Temple? Yeah, and a couple more questions. Why do Mormons defend Joseph Smith so furiously against what can only be called rape? Why do Mormons perpetuate made-up or skewed stories about people such as Oliver Cowdery and William Law, whom Joseph Smith sold out to protect himself? Rape apology is a very serious problem, and victim-blaming is still common. Okay, now this is a contemporary woman, yeah. born and raised faithful Mormon, who has suddenly come to ask these questions. And they're good observations and questions regarding the behavior of the Mormon prophet who started Mormon polygamy. She also asked this. If you say that it doesn't matter that Joseph Smith did these things, you are a rape apologist. If you have trouble swallowing that bitter pill, imagine what your reaction would be if today we found out that the current LDS prophet had been betting married women and teenage girls after telling each woman God would kill him or that refusing sex would mean going to hell. Would you feel it was persecution when he went to prison? Would you think for a moment that he deserved continued veneration? 
So we ask <laughs> puts it all right followers it. of Joseph Smith to ask yourselves those questions. And polyg <clears throat> polygamists, of course, are followers of Joseph Smith. But they do consider it persecution to remind them that polygamy is against the law, that it had always been against the law in every state that Mormons ever lived before they lived there. And they do justify their past and present polygamous leaders. We have repeatedly asked the question, why do they hold their leaders at a lower moral standard than their leaders hold of them. Why is Joseph Smith's sexual misbehavior acceptable? Why is Joseph Smith himself acceptable in light of all of the sordid history has revealed about him? Why are so many people still excusing Joseph Smith's immoral behavior? <laughs> Another quote. You are a rape apologist if you think that Joseph Smith's sexual transgressions have no impact on his credibility as the founder of Mormonism. It is hypocritical to think that abusive Catholic priests get what they deserve when they are publicly shamed, but that since Joseph Smith was founding the true church, his crimes can be overlooked. Even in our postmodern culture, where consensual relationships between adults take many forms, everyone agrees that those relationships must be ethical. A religious leader leveraging his divine calling to get laid is not ethical. Defending that behavior is just as bad. And that is right on according to Romans chapter 1, verse 32. We continue to wonder why people venerate Joseph Smith in light of the immoral and illegal crimes that he committed in the name of God. So what more things are there that Joseph Smith could boast about more than of any other man? Well, one of them could be that he taught religious adultery and made it into an essential for eternal life and then placed the blame on it on God, the blame for that doctrine on God, and got away with it. Joseph Smith should have been ashamed of himself because in the end, before God, he had nothing to boast about. So the second point we want to discuss. Yeah, Joseph Smith claimed that efficient and faithful clerks kept carefully written records of all that he said and did so that no one could charge him with wrongdoing. Now, he made this statement in May of 1844 and he said no one could charge him with wrongdoing. So let's begin this with another quote from History of the Church. Yes, from the History of the Church. Gave instructions to try those persons who were preaching, teaching, or practicing the doctrine of plurality of wives. And I have constantly said no man shall have but one wife at a time unless the Lord directs otherwise. Well, others couldn't teach polygamy. He's rebuking somebody else for teaching polygamy that he was living. He, so he could do it and they couldn't. Yeah. He had more than a couple of dozen wives at that time. Less than a year later, he's boasting that no one could charge him with wrongdoing. Polygamous was against the, polygamy was against the law, so he was doing wrong, and he knew he was. Many people knew about his teaching on polygamy. They knew he lied about his practice of polygamy, and that he knew that, that, he, knew that he was teaching uh, plural marriage. So how can they boast that no one could charge him with wrongdoing? And to show that he could easily have been charged with wrongdoing, we want to quote from Times and Seasons, which was a church-owned publication, and I think Joseph Smith was the editor. Yeah, and this actually sounds like that section, old section 101, doesn't it, kind mm -hmm. of? Inasmuch yes. as this Church of Christ has been reproached with the crime of fornication and polygamy, we declare that we believe that one man should have one wife and one husband, uh, I'm sorry, one man <laughs> should have one wife and one woman, but one husband. 
husband. Okay, and he's at this time, notice that he's calling polygamy a crime. Yeah. And at this time, he has many, many wives, yeah. many plural wives. So how can we say that he, how can he say no one could charge him with wrongdoing? Isn't bearing false witness wrongdoing? Isn't marrying and having sex with married women wrongdoing? Also, on another matter, Joseph Smith claimed he saw God the Father and Jesus Christ in a vision. Well, the Bible tells us that God is spirit, that God is invisible. Joseph Smith's version of the Bible also says that God has not been seen, nor can he be seen. And we want to quote from his own translation. From 1 Timothy, Whom no man hath seen, nor can see, unto whom no man can approach, only he who hath the light and the hope of immortality dwelling in him. And so we're to believe that 14-year-old Joseph Smith saw the unseeable God? In his own Joseph Smith version of the Bible, he did not change where it says in more than one place that God cannot be seen. And so we're to believe that Joseph Smith saw God after he said no one could see God. Now he boasted that no one could charge him with wrongdoing, yet it's wrong to bear false witness. And he did exactly uh, that, <laughs> bear fault, bore false witness when yeah. he claimed to see God whom he also claimed cannot be seen. And what about the book of Abraham? Boy. Now, we now know that, uh, and there's public information, that the book of Abraham, which is part of the Mormon canon, is not a translation by Joseph Smith from old Egyptian papyrus as he claimed it was. The papyri fragments actually contain passages from two Egyptian funerary texts, a book of breathings made by Isis, who was an Egyptian goddess, and included chapters from the Egyptian Book of the Dead. Egyptologists all agree on the content. So Joseph Smith claims that he translated ancient records was bearing false witness because he knew he was being deceitful because he knew he wasn't translating. We want to quote something else from History of the Church. Yes, a translation of some ancient records that have fallen into our hands from the catacombs of Egypt. The writings of Abraham while he was in Egypt called the book of Abraham written by his own hand upon papyrus. So they call it a translation in the history of the church that he had translated from the papyrus yeah. and we know now that's not true. So yes, actually there is and there was very much that anyone with a working knowledge of Mormonism could charge Joseph Smith with wrongdoing. So his boast was an empty boast. Now the third point which is the most disturbing of all of this. Joseph Smith said that he did better than even Jesus in keeping a church together. Wow. Yes, wow. So how true is that boast? Well, actually, in 1837, there was quite the apostasy away from Joseph Smith, five years before his great boast. It became known as the Kirtland apostasy. One account said that one third of the Mormon leadership left Joseph Smith during the Kirtland apostasy. On April 9th, President Rigdon addressed the Mormons. There was so much division taking place, he exhorted them to be united. We want to quote part of that. And from Wilford Woodruff's journal, Sidney closed and Joseph arose and poured out his soul in the midst of the congregation of the saints. Yea, in the name of God, he proclaimed that severe judgment awaited those characters that had professed to be his friends, 
but had turned traitors and opposed the currency of the bank and its friends, which has given power into the hands of the enemy. So there's a lot of, of dissension <laughs> going on during this time. And now Joseph Smith has said that followers had run away from Jesus, but they hadn't run away from him yet. That simply is not true. We just read where many had turned traitor and left in opposition. A little over two months later, June 18th of 1837, we read this about the continuing crisis and the defection of so many people away from Joseph Smith. According to Mary, Parley Pratt spoke that day in a great meeting in the assembly room of the temple. In his talk, Parley attempted to show how all the church had departed from the good way. Parley was disaffected from the church at that time, as was Orson. Unwilling to hear more from dissenters, President Sidney Rigdon dismissed the meeting, but some stayed. It was later said in Nauvoo that of all the original Quorum of the Twelve, only Brigham Young and Heber Kimball never lifted their heel against Joseph Smith. Well, that sounds um, like a lot of people. Ten out of twelve. <laughs> ten out of twelve of the, of the original Twelve, plus all these others, yeah. are leaving him. Yeah. And this is 1837, and he made that boast in, what, 1844? So he used the word departed from. He claimed that, that he kept the whole church together uh, better than Jesus did, and yet I don't see that. It says here that Parley Pratt was out. It says that Orson Pratt was out. Yeah. And like you said, 10 of the, of the 12 we're, we're left not. him. So we wonder why Joseph Smith forgot to remember this apostasy while he was boasting that no one had ever ran away from him. We have more. Yeah, I've never read this one before. <laughs> while they were gone, there was a great row in the temple. Apostle was pitted against apostle. Pistols and knives were brandished. People jumped out of the windows and stovepipes were knocked over. It was a horrible melee with the dissenters who remained unrepentant. When Joseph Smith Sr., who was conducting the meeting, could not impose order, he called in the police who expanded the melee. <laughs> melee. At the end of the day, nobody had been killed, but many blows had been struck and a horrible scene had transpired. That sounds even more... Uh, Love even at home. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. That, but that's even worse than somebody running yeah. away. This was a mess. Yes, it was. And, and there were a lot of people who were disgusted with Joseph Smith. Uh, we read that it was a horrible battle and with dissenters, uh, people who did run away from him. Of course, that's what dissenters mean. Yeah. That's what the word means. Now, we do have another quote to make more proof of our point. In September, Joseph decided to convene a major conference in order to confront those still in rebellion and cut them off. Dissent had been widespread enough that some must have wondered how such a meeting would turn out. Brigham Young, for one, was not going to take any chances. He had defended Joseph Smith throughout the summer against the apostates. The apostasy was very great in those days. This is the result of that apostasy, and yet it was so great that Joseph himself and his friends had to flee from Kirtland. So can you believe what he said when, when he said that no. no one had run away from him yet? No. After we read these? A lot of defectors, yes. A lot of them <laughs> run. So through the years, there were many, many people who did leave Joseph Smith and his new religion of strange doctrine. We read more about the dissenters in Kirtland from D. Michael Quinn's book, The Mormon Hierarchy, Origins of Power. Although Joseph Smith never held a civil office in Kirtland, dissenters accused him of aspiring to become a theocratic king. 
and, and there is again we see the word dissenter. Yes. The dissenters mean that those people yeah. who are leaving or who are against it, uh, people who are against what Joseph Smith is doing. And of course, we're not quoting this part of of, of it on our show today. But they he wanted to become a king. In fact, later he was privately and secretly um, anointed king, king, wasn't he? Yes, he anointed was anointed the theocratic yeah. king of the world. All right. Not just of the Mormons, but no. of the world. That's been their goal all along. I think. I mean. That's the understanding is that they would eventually take over the world. That's, that's right. That's part of their. They don't they use that prophecy in Daniel <clears throat> that, uh, that underlines uh -huh, uh -huh, and takes yeah. over the the whole world, and they they apply that to Joseph Smith or Mormonism when actually it's referring to Jesus. Jesus yeah. According to Mormon history, there were many many dissenters during the time of Kirtland as well as in other places. We have one more quote from Quinn's book. Some of Kirtland's dissenters also resettled at the new Mormon headquarters of far west Missouri, where they associated with local dissenters. Smith and his loyal followers were determined to prevent these formerly faithful leaders from causing mass disaffection the second time. The second time. <laughs> so yeah. again, we're, we're just making... Somebody left. <laughs> <laughs> we're making our point uh, that in this speech that he really was not telling the truth when he was making that big boast. Obviously, there were several times of dissension and they feared that more was coming. So what was Joseph Smith thinking when he boasted that no one had run away from him yet? Even putting himself above Jesus yeah. Christ in making that boast. Some left him as we have seen because of the Kirtland Bank crisis and there were many who left when the truth about his polygamy began to become public. Many Mormons hated the polygamy doctrine. They couldn't believe that God had decreed such an awful and immoral practice for the Mormons to follow. And many left Joseph Smith's church when they found out about his deceit and his secrets regarding his polygamous wives and the young girls that, that he married and the married women that he married and that he lied about it all and, and especially, you know, his lying to Emma yeah. oh. about it also. Is, yeah. How can we not accuse him of wrongdoing in that? In his boast, Joseph Smith claimed that neither Paul or John or Peter or Jesus ever kept a church together. He said, no man did such a work as he did. He said the followers of Jesus ran away from him, but he boasted the Latter-day Saints never ran away from him yet. So we have proven <laughs> just from their own history yeah. that that boast is wrong, is lies. Perhaps Joseph Smith should have taken from Paul's example in Galatians chapter 6 when he said this. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that was Paul's boast in the cross of Jesus Christ. And you know, to his shame, I don't know about, about your own experience. I know my experience in growing up in polygamy and many of the people in Mormons that, that uh, Mormon church that I've talked with, they, didn't, they were not boasting in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, no. And Joseph had no regard for, I mean, it, it just seems like he was always challenging. He, he was willing to change the Bible. He joined the Methodist Church in 1826 after G God had told him, supposedly, not to join any church. Right. I don't think he feared God at all. I don't think there was any fear of God no. in his eyes at all. Yeah, You're he right. was willing to... But when Paul says, he may, may I never boast except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, to his shame, Joseph Smith never preached the cross of Jesus Christ as God's only answer for eternal life. But he sure made it a point to boast about his own good 
works. Many people did run away from Joseph Smith, and they're still running. Yeah. And still running I've often him. wondered what would have happened if Brigham Young hadn't brought the saints out to to uh, Salt Lake and where they were kind of separated from uh, everyone else and could have grow themselves because I think the church would have struggled mightily if it had stayed in Nauvoo and all of the Do you think it would have just different... disappeared? Well, maybe not disappeared, but it wouldn't have grown. It wouldn't have had the foundation that it had out here from Salt Lake because people were, I think when you start seeing, like you were talking about the polygamy in, in uh, where the Book of Mormon teaches against polygamy and, and David and Solomon were uh, accused poorly because of their polygamy and yet in Doctrine and Covenants 132 it says that David and Solomon were forgiven or justified, that were justified because of their polygamy, in their right. polygamy. I mean I think people even back then could start seeing and comparing scripture and, and seeing what Joseph Smith had done and how he had circumvented things and certainly his rumors and then William Law with the mm -hmm. expositor mm -hmm. yeah, and that's destroyed what, that. That's what, that's what, and, that, and that's another thing where William Law uh, ran away from him and many For of sure. the apostates at that time is which actually caused the yeah. decline, him being in jail and, yeah. and being shot in the end. Yeah. Um, when I, you know, as, as I, I, I had no idea growing up that the cross was God's answer to my sins. I had no idea. I did, didn't. Did you, were you ever taught that? No, no. There was actually a disregard for the cross or a disdain. Uh -huh. I mean, if I ever saw anyone, now I'm wearing one, if I ever saw one wear, someone wearing one or saw a building with a cross on it, I just discounted it, that they didn't know, they didn't have the true gospel, they didn't have all the truth. They called it a murder weapon, yeah. but it was never, you go to the cross to have your sins yeah. completely washed away. Yeah through faith in Jesus and what he Well, and the, the preaching of the cross is to them that don't understand it, foolishness. Foolishness, that's yeah. what the Bible says, yeah. to those who are perishing. So, to his shame, as we mentioned, Joseph Smith never preached the cross, and yet Paul says, may I never boast in anything except the cross. So many people did run away from Joseph Smith then, yes. and they, in fact, they're still running away from Joseph Smith. More and more, it Hundreds. seems, especially right now with the internet and all the information and the church admitting polygamy and the mm -hmm. married women, marriages, and the young uh, girls. Hundreds and, and hundreds are running from yes. that from him every day, today, every day. Yeah. In fact, I, I recently read, of course the Mormon Church will never confirm or not confirm this, that two to 300,000 people per year are leaving the LDS Church, wow. and they have to hire new personnel in the church office just to... <laughs> to um, to help manage all the letters of resignation yeah. that are coming in. Yeah. So. Well, I've heard that it, uh, for a while there, there was a, a good friend of ours that uh, used to, has a contact with this kind of stuff, used to get one or two requests or talk, discussions a month, now getting three and four a week. Mm. People that want to talk about transitioning mm -hmm. out of mm -hmm. the church. That, so. That's quite a percentage up, and it if you is. multiply that throughout yeah. all of the Mormon church, that's quite a bit. So we would have to come to the conclusion that that boast that Joseph Smith made was an empty boast, and that what he said was not true about himself. 
and he certainly did not tell the truth about God. So that concludes another yeah. discussion, and we'll, we'll do another next time. Thanks a lot for helping. Uh, were Joseph Smith boasting okay? Because some people say it was okay because Paul the Apostle boasted after all, but Paul the Apostle never boasted that he did better works than Jesus did. All of uh, Paul's references to the Lord Jesus Christ in the Bible was always super reverent and worshipful. Paul knew that Jesus Christ was God Almighty, but Joseph Smith's doctrine treats Jesus as Lucifer's brother, and polygamists believe, as Joseph Smith taught, that polygamy is essential for salvation. And so once again, we close with the statement that we frequently make, Jesus Christ alone is the Savior. Polygamy is not the Savior. Polygamy never saved. It never helped save. And neither Joseph Smith nor polygamy ever added to anyone's eternal life. Thanks for watching. Bye. This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? This program is a production of A Shield and Refuge Ministry and Main Street Church of Brigham City. You can view current and past video episodes as well as download audio episodes of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, please contact us. We are here to help. All of our contact information can be found at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 877-425-9993. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our other programs, we'd love to hear from you. Write us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again.